The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on HiFM, where we always talk about the latest gizmos, gadgets, technologies, and things that are going to affect your life from a technological point of view. And a lot of it is hidden. In fact, the best form of technology is the technology you don't even realize you're using, but it's become an integral part of all our lives. And here we sit with everything connected. And in the last week, it's very interesting how the car is evolving enormously and stuff that you wouldn't even begin to think of, things that you didn't even consider with regard to a car. A car is something you get into, you drive from point A to point B. Some people like fast cars, some people like just car cars that get the job done. And everyone's got their own little preference. But the apps, Mercedes, BMW, the big German makes, and a couple of others have really taken huge strides with regard to connecting your car and connecting it to your smart device, and offering all sorts of different types of services from emergency call to unlocking to turning on the air conditioner when it's hot. In fact, you can even use your remote in some cases to drive the car to some extent. So the fact that cars are becoming another gadget, becoming more and more connected, is not uh, a, a trivial thing. It's a big deal in the motoring industry. And not to be left aha- left behind, Ford have now... Um, announced their big plans for new car connectivity going forward. And they've just launched their connectivity app, which will connect your car to pretty much, well, your your Ford car for the moment. Let's be very specific. So this Ford Pass Connect app will give you a digital tool that will allow you to control and manage a whole host of different things. So you can start your car. You can uh, switch off your car. You can monitor all sorts of different um, parts of your car. And they didn't start with only their luxury brand. They started it with the Ranger model, which is their essentially their workhorse. And it's going to start rolling out from now. You can start getting it from various Ford dealers as we speak. But the Ford Pass Connect and the Ford Pass app, the two together, will definitely improve your your usage and your journey with the car. I understand from Ford that they are going to be rolling this out across pretty much the entire range. And it was going to happen a lot earlier. But uh, unfortunately, this little thing called the global pandemic sort of put a, a spoke in the works. But essentially, it's going to give you a lot more control over what you can do, a lot more information. You can lock the car. You can unlock the car. You can check the status of your car through an app, and it just makes a whole lot of sense. Ford also announced that they are enhancing their relationship with Google, so Google Car will be standard on the in-car entertainment and management system, and Sync, which will work with both Google uh, and with um, Apple, is really pretty useful. So Maps, the Play Store Assistant, all the various bits and pieces that you shouldn't really be playing with in your car when you're driving, but make things super useful when you're not, will be available through the the, the in-car in entertainment system. So these type of in-tech and, and sort of high-tech upgrades to your various cars and all your bits and pieces are coming fast and furious. A lot of the Korean and Japanese models are also starting to add more and more technology 
So expect your car to be just another app on your smart device, and it'll certainly give you a lot more control, a lot of notifications. You'll be able to contact dealerships. There's just a whole host of stuff you can do. And I'm very pleased it's coming to mid-range cars and cars that are, you know, much more common than only the high-end luxury brands. So good on you, Ford, for finally bringing it. Hopefully we can stream our movies when we're not driving in our car shortly. So it's going to be a whole crazy new experience in that space. Now, the next little bit of news, and this show, unfortunately, I had a guest lined up, but for technical and other reasons and timings, we couldn't we couldn't do it. And basically, we've spoken to him before, and it's about insurance and saving. Those two things don't generally go together. Most insurance is a grudge purchase, and it's something that you pay for because you have to. Anyhow, we'll talk about a little bit about that in Tech Talk Cafe just down the road. But before we get there... Um, Another device has bitten the dust due to the smartphone. You see, the smartphone takes over everything. Visa have launched a new system which allows any NFC um, enabled. That's near-field communication. So any um, phone that has an NFC system with the latest app from Visa, you can use that to, to become a card-acquiring terminal. So up to now... You've had to have a touch-and-pay terminal. There are a couple of small devices like Yoko's that you plug into your phone. Well, they've decided, what the heck, we're going to turn it into an app because the phone already has, most phones today already have the hardware that allows you to tap on the back of the phone and pick up all sorts of devices. The fact that Apple Pay or Google Pay or Samsung Pay allow you to pay with your phone means that that phone is quite capable of reading a smart card or a smart device. So tap to phone now allows all current generation Android phones to act as contactless software point of sales terminals without any hardware. So you can simply use your phone, you can receive payments, and I think this will be a huge boon across most of um, South Africa because it just makes a whole lot of sense. And what is interesting, Nedbank have come out and as the first partner in this space, and they have announced that they will allow the tap-to-pay phone platform to work through their their, their system for, for mobile or th- for card payments. And you can do that right now. So if you want more information on that, if you've got a small business or if you've just got a business, any even a service business, a lot of service businesses, people who come and fix your washing machine, want to take payments. It's always been a hassle with card payments. You've got to carry around this. Even more exciting for food delivery and for other types of deliveries where you want to have payment at point of handover of the goods, the fact that you can now do it on a phone seamlessly, easily, <laughs> with no real issue, is going to, I reckon, pretty much revolutionize the market. But the fact is, the same way that the smartphone killed the SLR camera, the smartphone killed the Walkman, the smartphone has now killed, for the most part, a card-acquiring machine. Because think about it. I know a lot of small businesses that have had to spend a lot of money, something like 500 Rand a month, just to rent a card machine. And they're always a bit flaky, and sometimes they don't update, and sometimes they don't connect. Now, imagine even in a shop, you replace that card machine with your smart, with a smartphone. One, it's super cheap. Two, it's always online, and it'll always um, allow you to to 
you know, settle your payments immediately. The only drawback right now is that the magnetic card strip won't be read. That's the, the, the major, major drawback. But 99% of cards being issued now in South Africa have the tap to pay chip built in. And that is growing at an incredible rate. So something like 40% year after year. So if you're in business of any sort, if you've got a small business, just expect to see more and more people coming along. And don't be surprised if they say, just tap your card on the back of my phone. And what is even more fun is that if you have a tap to pay phone, you'll be able to tap your tap to pay phone to another tap to receive pay phone and tap the two together. So phone to phone, you'll be paying for things and receiving payment for things in quite a spectacular manner. So not only are devices going away, but the actual cards can stay in your pocket. And with the launch of virtual cards from FNB and other banks, you don't even need a physical card anymore. You can you can load a virtual card, link it, and pay with it using your smartphone to another smartphone, which can receive your um, your payment. Well, on that on that note, um, I'm just going to take a quick break before we get stuck into Tech Talk Cafe, and we're going to have an interesting discussion around Facebook. And there's some strange stuff happening with our security regulator, the whole brouhaha around. Uh, WhatsApp and WhatsApp privacy hasn't gone away. If anything, it's going to escalate. We'll talk about that straight after this little break. And then uh, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about privacy and that to do with all these things in a few minutes. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to Tech Talk Cafe. As I said, we were supposed to have a really interesting discussion about insurance and saving. Now, the two are actually normally mutually exclusive terms, and we had a long chat with Matuda Mahamba, who's the CEO and founder of Solvency, last year when he launched the whole idea of save, uh, insurance with a savings pocket, which is quite interesting. And it, I was going to catch up and find out what's going on. Unfortunately, as I said, due to technical difficulties, we didn't hook up and we didn't connect and we did not get to have a little chat about this, but I've scheduled it for next week. So if you're interested in a smart new fintech type operation whereby you can insure your goods, save a little bit of money, invest at the same time, and be rewarded for you know not claiming in a really direct manner, uh, tune in. You might hear a little bit more about that. And what I've decided to do then is just to you know chat about and discuss the whole issue around what's going on with WhatsApp and what's going on with the regulator in South Africa. So finally, as you may or may not know, Poppy, the, the Prevention of Privacy or the Protection of Privacy Act, came into effect last year, and they've given South Africa one year to, or companies and everyone in South Africa, one year to fully comply with the terms and conditions before they start with penalties and other issues around the fact that your your data is private. And, for example, if you've been receiving a million uh, of these robocalls from 087 numbers, though there are a lot of legitimate 087 numbers, a bit of a challenge, I must tell you. But um, you've been getting a lot of robocalls. This is because the when the Act is fully in force, you will not be able to get any of these calls unless you explicitly give permission to people to make calls to you. You can't 
automatically opt in. You can't land up on someone's database. And if you inform someone to stop calling you or stop mailing you or stop harassing you with these various things, they have to comply. Otherwise, they will be sanctioned by the information regulator, which is the governing body of our our privacy law, which is the Popier Act. Well, here's where it gets super interesting. WhatsApp earlier this, this year announced that by the end of February, if you don't sign in or don't accept their new privacy policy, your service would stop. Well, there was a huge hoo-ha. Everybody decided this is nonsense. They're not going to be involved in this. They started giving up their their WhatsApps, getting onto um, Signal and all sorts of other platforms to try to communicate. In them, For the most part, from what I've seen from my users, most people have relaxed and continued to use WhatsApp because WhatsApp decided to delay the the implementation of this new, well, not the implementation, the new privacy policy exists. But what's happening is that um, the the implementation date was moved to May, at which point, if you do not agree with it, you may, they haven't been entirely clear, but the chances are you will then no longer have the right to use the service. And as we discussed at the time, I think it's very important that people understand one of the following or a couple of the following things. The first and foremost thing, Facebook, who owned WhatsApp, have made it very clear that, in fact, they are not changing anything for the the people, for the most part, for most users. They were simply updating their privacy policy to take into account some new features and functions within their business WhatsApp environment. So... What they had done in the past and what privacy policy you originally agreed to when you started using WhatsApp remained in effect and no changes actually were being made to, you know, your, your service or to the terms of your service. But the new policy had been revised, clarified and cleared up and included some new stuff related to business. And on that basis, they don't believe anyone should have a problem doing that because they weren't doing anything that they going forward based on the new privacy policy that they were doing, that they weren't doing rather, going backwards. Now, um, I've spoken to a couple of privacy experts. We even had a couple on the show. But the simple fact is that is the case with the new the new privacy terms. There are bigger issues, but I'm saying currently, if you use WhatsApp, they're not going to do anything to you that they didn't do in the past. And all voice, all pictures, all WhatsApps are still fully end-to-end encrypted and cannot be read by WhatsApp or anyone else in between. So all your communication on WhatsApp is still as safe as it ever was, and they're actually not going to change. The key thing focused around sharing of your information um, around your with other people or other parts of Facebook. And that's where things started getting a little bit out of hand and things started unraveling. And our information um, department, the people who are, uh, you know, now going to deal with the with the whole thing, the regulator has now come out and created a huge sort of uh, publicity campaign, the information regulator, that it has concerns about Facebook's new privacy policy that forces WhatsApp users to accept the policy by the 15th of May, or they may face uh, losing functionality. And... The basis that they they saying this is that you cannot um, 
it always gets a little bit messy when they start this sort of thing. My sense is that they've hopped on the bandwagon and they are trying to show that at some point the information regulator in South Africa will have uh, teeth and will get stuck in and will change the way that we we uh, work, which is good. I do believe that the Papier Act, which is very, very strongly based on the GDPR rules coming out of Europe, which are excellent, um, do protect you and I in a, in, a, in a very significant manner from privacy. And Europe is leagues ahead of pretty much most of the world with regard to protecting the consumer with regard to their data and their privacy. So it's a good thing. However, I think for some reason our information regulator has hopped on the, the WhatsApp thing and come out and said, we're going to protect you guys and we're going to show that we're actually doing our work. However, I think they've misconstrued this somewhat. I'm not the expert in this field, so it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. But on the face of it, the new WhatsApp policy, privacy policy requires involuntary consent, which that's what they say. And it is very clear that that is not the case. There is no involuntary consent. And that's a completely misrepresentation of the whole situation. Also, they say that they're of the view that processing of cell phone numbers as accessed on the user's contact list for a purpose other than the one which the number was specifically intended at collection. I read this, so it's a little sort of opaque with the aim of linking this information jointly with the information processed by other parties, such as Facebook, does not require consent from the data subject. And that's a, a term. You are the data subject. So it's your data, so you're the subject. But it now requires prior authorization from the information regulator. What's going on here? So in other words, you even if you give permission to Facebook for it to use your number or any of the numbers in your phone book for whatever purpose, that's not good enough. The information regulator now has to give permission to Facebook to do so. Not so sure about that, but this is going to get super, super interesting. What is of concern for me and for many people is that Facebook have a very different uh, privacy policy for Europe because of GDPR. And here's where it gets a little bit shaky for Facebook and for WhatsApp is our Papier Act is very similar to the GDPR in many, many, many respects and has pretty much all the same sort of protections and penalties built in. So if they are giving a um, having a specific set of, of regulations or a specific privacy policy for European people or for European countries and European users of their system, then they need to extend that to South Africa on the same terms and conditions that match and essentially equal what is protected in, in, in Europe as opposed to the rest of the world. They should not treat us any differently. And that's where I think it's quite important that our information regulator make it quite clear to, to uh, WhatsApp and Facebook that we do have proper legislation, we do have a proper framework, but I do believe this whole hopping on the bandwagon thing may not work entirely in, 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 in the regulator's favor and could create all sorts of havoc for users should this not, you know, be sorted out in due course because May is only a couple of months away. So let's hope that they do. There's going to be a lot of misinformation out there. My advice and my sense around this is one, I believe that they have not fundamentally changed their usage. 
there is no no additional danger to you as a user. They are not listening to your calls. They are not um, somehow getting involved or sharing the stuff you say on WhatsApp with someone on Facebook or anywhere for that matter. So it is still a very secure platform. But be aware that by utilizing any of Facebook's products, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, you have already given Facebook as a company lots of permissions to use your data for lots of different things. And a lot of those things make a lot of sense. The core is advertising, obviously, because that's what they do. But they do use that information also to optimize the service. So in other words, if there are a million users doing something in a particular area, they can then move their their software or their hardware or their system around to give you the optimal performance. So you don't have congestion. You do have great voice quality. They can have servers in the right place, things like that. So there's both a technical and anonymous use of your data and specific use of your data. So if they know that you live in South Africa and they know that you're based on your connection with Facebook, you're a male and you're this age and you're this demographic, they could send you adverts on Facebook that certainly are more appropriate, which they believe, to you than adverts that you don't want to see. So that is your choice. You don't have to opt in. But if you do use WhatsApp, it's entirely safe from the point of view of your information that's going up and down between you, yourself and anyone else you speak to. But it's not entirely um, hidden with regard to who you are, where you are, and what what you are doing, how many times you're using the system, and potentially, if it's linked to your Facebook, your interests, your likes, your dislikes, etc., etc. So this is the world we live in. That's a conversation for a completely different time and a different place. But the fact is that once you use any one of these free services, and Google and Facebook make their money from advertising, that is what a lot of people don't quite understand. They think it's just, I don't know, it's on the cell phone. You can just use it. But the fact is they collect all this data. They then mine this data in a very, very smart way. And they try to figure out how best to sell that information to advertisers who would like to get your attention. Now, in so many different ways, that is no different to what happened in, in the newspaper world and in the magazine world. It's just happening at a speed and a scale and possibly with a specificity and an accuracy that has never been possible before the whole digital revolution. So be aware that once you're online, your information's out there, it's being shared, it's being shared for the purpose of advertising. Some of the advertising I like, because quite honestly, there's so much going on in the world. How do you find out about it? You can't read everything, and sometimes an advert just pops something up that you need. And if you're moving home, Sometimes it's important that you know these things or whatever you're doing. So stay tuned. There's so much more coming out of this space and there's so much more um, changing things happening. But it'll be very interesting to see how the information regulator gets going with Facebook and the whole ongoing social media spat because it's escalated. Big, The big advertisers in this world are Facebook and Google and similar online platforms, and there's just no question that the whole world is changing with regard to the whole digitization of everything. Print is on its way out for the most part. People are not buying nor reading magazines unless they're very specialized. So the big media houses that are involved in technology are loving it, 
But the others that aren't and focused very much on brick and mortar, sending you, uh, you know, a dead tree, as they call it, they are taking a lot of strain. And yet they are still incredibly powerful television as well, incredibly powerful operators in the world. And they're putting a lot of pressure on governments like what happened in Australia, in South Africa and everywhere with regard to how the social media competitors are dealing. Because right now, the vast majority of advertising spend is going online through the various social media platforms. The amount of engagement, the amount of young people, the amount of, of video, the amount of audio, the amount of print that is just totally online, it, it changes absolutely everything. And I think the old guard are finally out of it. I, I listened to a very interesting uh, roundtable this morning, which essentially was looking at how technology has changed the world we live in and how, for the most part, all the experts, a uh, top professor who consults and works for Standard Bank, um, top guys from across a whole range of different uh, security and, and connectivity people, and essentially the message is this. The pandemic has fundamentally shifted the way that we work and we connect. We're online far more, far more than we've ever been, be it on your phone, be it on your computer, wherever you are, you're working online, you're learning online, you're entertaining yourself online, you're doing everything with a connected device at some level. And because of that, 99% of those tend to work with one of the big platforms, Google, Microsoft, you name it, AWS, Amazon, somehow, somewhere, you're connecting through that. And every time you do that, they connect data, tons and tons of data on your usage, on your preferences. The same thing goes for um, Netflix. Netflix gather billions of points of data of what people, how long they watch, what they watch, when they watch it, where they watch it, um, how many people binge, how many people stream, how <laughs> just the, the sheer amount of data that is collected by you simply logging onto Netflix and watching a show is staggering. And that data is linked to your account, which you set up with them. It's linked to your money that you pay them and your payment methods. So you think about the web of connectivity and how it connects to absolutely everything you do. They know which bank you're with simply because they know which credit card you have. So it's this type of information that is being regulated. It's this type of information that needs to be protected. And for the most part, the Act in South Africa, the Popier Act and the GDPR Act and similar acts around the world are now pitting these huge commercial operations that just want your data, not for bad reasons, but for profitable reasons. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making a profit, but it does lend to the, it does tend to the scale where it could potentially be misused by other people or by these companies themselves in some weird and wonderful way, to, you know, to, to, to bring harm rather than good stuff. So instead of Netflix, they could potentially, I don't know, scam you in some sort of way. So my advice and my sense on this whole thing is that we're going to see a lot more change. Where It's a young industry, a lot of things still happening, a lot of changes are still coming around this space, but we are definitely definitely going to see a lot more involvement of governments, which is not always a good thing, to, in my humble opinion. And we're going to see a lot of um, 
a lot of change coming to the regulatory environment in which this whole thing operates. So we'll be back with my little gadget, which I'm wearing on my arm right now of the week, and a little nod to the Golden Globe Awards. I mean, this is supposed to be a tech show, but the reason why it's so interesting is that the Golden Globes fully embraced tech and uh, all the awards they gave out were based on, well, not all, but a good chunk on streaming platforms. So fun and games and every single front. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So now moving on to my gadget of the week and something I've been using for the last, I would say, two months. And it's always a very topical subject. I get asked this question a lot. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a challenge, but it's certainly something that I think about a lot because the days of, it's cool to wear a smart, fancy watch of Rolex or, you know, if you can afford it, that is, or an Amiga or a good old fashioned watch. But the age of the smartwatch has come and it actually makes a lot of sense to have a watch that gives you or have a wearable that really helps and, and, and assists you in your understanding of your body and your health and your fitness and your heart rate, and all sorts of interesting and good things. And I've been trying the new Fitbit Sense for the last two months, and I have a couple of really upfront conclusions. One, it is the best Fitbit watch that they've ever made. It certainly has the highest level of functionality, the most sensors. It is the best built, and it has a really nice screen. Is it an Apple Watch? No, it's not. It's not as good as an Apple Watch in some ways. And yet, as a fitness tracker, I find the fact that fitness and tracking body, you know, your heart rate, your steps, your sleep, things like that, make it actually a better fitness tracker to, to some extent than the Apple Watch. Apparently, the latest version, the Apple 6, which I've not tried, and the upcoming Apple 7 are going to do a lot of work to bring those features much more to the fore. So, for example, because... Um, of the battery life of an Apple Watch, you tend not to sleep with it. Also, it's big and bulky, not that easy to sleep with, so it doesn't track your sleep quite as well, or it doesn't track your sleep at all. At all, You can put it next to you, and there is a form of sleep tracking, but it's not the same as actually wearing it, knowing your, your body temperature, knowing your heart rate while you sleep. And that's what Fitbit does exceptionally well. So the new Fitbit... Um, again, it is their best, but it's also their most expensive. This is their, te their top watch. And the Fitbit Sense has two very interesting features. One, it can measure through an app your blood oxygen level. Now, I've got it set up right now that when I sleep, it measures my blood oxygen level and tells me that uh, everything's in, in good shape and I'm breathing and I've got enough oxygen in my, my, my body to keep me going, which is great because... That's something you need to know. Secondly, it has got what is called a um, a stress package, which is really, really, really nice. However, there are two things that I found. One, in order to measure your stress, you have to switch on the app, cover the screen, and sit quietly for two minutes while it measures your stress and gives you a reading, which is great, but it's it's it, it sort of interrupts my day. If you sit and quietly sit for a couple of minutes and just breathe pretty much will improve your stress anyway. So I didn't find the stress part of it being such a, a, a great benefit. It's now got proper heart rate and ECG wrapped up in a nice tidy package. You can um, 
You absolutely can measure that, and it certainly does help a lot. It's aluminium and stainless steel, so it's built a little bit better. It's got a nice size case. It's around about 40 millimeters. It's very light, and that's what I really like. It's also waterproof, and it's got all sorts of um, sensors that, you know, keep it at the cutting edge. And for a runner, it's definitely got GPS plus GLONASS, which is an altimeter, a built-in. The other little thing that, that I've never had on any smartwatch is it can measure blood oxygen level and skin temperature. So when you sleep, it measures your skin temperature, and I'm not entirely, it's not your core temperature, so it's not the same as taking your temperature, but there's a, a lot of benefit in understanding your skin temperature. In other words, to get your quality of sleep up, to understand if you're running a temperature, there's some fever, whatever. It obviously comes with Bluetooth 5, Wi-Fi, it's got NFC, so with, with FNB you can do uh, Fitbit Pay, which is really cool. It's got a speaker and a mic, so you can take calls and make calls on it, which is really cool. And working with either Android or iOS makes it more universal than any of the other watches. The Gear watches often don't work, well, they don't work with iOS, and the uh, Apple watches do not work with uh, Android, so you have to pick a platform and stick to it. And I'm always playing with lots of platforms, so it's actually nice to have a watch that talks to all of them. The other thing that I found, essentially, is that the battery life is quoted as six days. And for the most part, I get between four and six days, depending on what I do. I get lots of notifications, make a few phone calls, I go for a little run, use the GPS. I need to ch charge every two, three days. But normally, I get between five, four, five days easy out of it. And you forget about it. It's comfortable to wear. It's light. I sleep with it. It's really easy. I did pick up one huge problem, and I've never had this problem before with a smartwatch, and I'm not sure if it's specific to this one or the strap that is used with this watch. But I built up an allergic reaction to the very nice feeling silicon strap. After a couple of weeks of using it, exercising with it, sleeping with it, I built up a really bad reaction on my wrist. I switched it to my other wrist. And in two seconds later, I had a reaction there too. I've subsequently changed the strap to a very nice nylon strap, which is available from Fitbit as an option. And I've had no problems whatsoever. So be aware if you tend to have uh, allergic reactions to straps and watch straps, possibly the new formula they're using, I'm not sure why, is not a great one. And we are seeing a little bit of a challenge around that. So in a nutshell, if you're looking for a top-end uh, Fitbit tracker that is a little bit cheaper. It's not significantly cheaper, but a little bit cheaper than um, uh, an Apple Watch and yet has all the sort of health focused stuff. You can still see notifications on it. It's not the same as an Apple Watch in any way, shape or form, but the screen is an OLED. It's big. It's clear. It's bright. You can see it in, in, in sunlight. It's got tons of exercises that it tracks. It tracks your heart rate. The app is great. Then I will tell you it's one of the nicest apps in terms of giving you information and keeping you uh, updated with regard to your daily activity. It's got a great, uh, if you take the premium package, there's a lot of exercises. That's quite expensive. I'm not a big fan of the premium package. I've got it, but I don't think it's particularly useful. It doesn't add a lot of information. It does give you more information about your sleep. It does expand some of the information that you get, but for the most part, uh, oh, the, the watch itself comes with six months free uh, premium, so you can try it. So it's just a really good package. I think it's a great watch. I think it's a great way to keep track of your daily activity and your sleep and 
your stress. And for unless and the EDA sensor works quite well. I think the process is a pain, but generally I think it's a great, great device uh, at a reasonable price. It's available pretty much everywhere across the country. So if you're in the in the market for a really good quality watch that gives you everything that you need from a speed from a um, health point of view, as well as being a pretty decent smartwatch, this is the one for you. And most people will actually. Uh, think it's an Apple Watch. So if that's an issue for you, that's another story. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And I'm coming back with one last little thing, as we always do, right here on Tech Talk. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And as if uh, it needed any further validation, the Golden Globes Awards, which were held this uh, this last week made it absolutely clear that finally television or TV viewing has moved pretty much fully online. There's just no question that the Netflix and the the big the Hulus and the big streaming platforms out there, Disney Plus, HBO Max, all these guys, some available in South Africa, quite a few not, but as I've always said, DSTV, which is becoming a streaming platform, um, actually does quite a good job of bringing most of these things to you. But the simple fact is that all the top winners, the Crown on Netflix series, the Queen's Gambit, also Netflix, uh, so many other programs that were both on Netflix and other Amazon Prime, like Sasha Baron Cohen's Borat subsequent movie film. I haven't watched it yet, but I think I will. Just a crazy thing to do. But bottom line is all the Walt Disney stuff, all one massively at the Golden Globes Award. And in fact, in this new COVID space, the vast majority of the people accepting the awards were doing it virtually via live stream. So there's just no question that streaming has pretty much become the way that most people globally are. And even in, in Africa, where there is so limited, you know, in direct high-speed fiber connectivity, essentially, it has definitely become the way that most of us consume our our um, television. And it's actually quite a crazy thing that we even call it television anymore. But the fact is, streaming is definitely the way that we watch all our series, all our movies. A lot of people watch their news. And it's becoming more and more uh, an online connected experience. And there's a lot of stuff coming from that space. You watch, watch the space, I think we're going to see... A lot of innovation, a lot of new um, platforms coming into the country. Apparently, there's a British series, a British streaming service coming very soon, starting very shortly. So if you're not connected and you don't have a smart TV and you do not and you watch linear TV, as I said, uh, DSTV do quite a good job, even with their, their decoder and all these you know, dishes on your roof. But the simple fact is that the vast majority of content that we watch is coming via streaming platforms and it is winning all the world the awards for a lot of good reasons one they've got the budget two they've got the viewers three they've got the money so there's just no question we're going to see more and more how the streaming services are just taking the golden globes and wait you know even interestingly because the movies for the last year have been closed watch this space with regard to the to all the other awards that are coming down the road. It's going to be quite a different universe from 
for the for the most part in many many ways. And on a last note, just something that's going to pop up on all you Android users, which is really useful: password password programs, programs that keep your passwords, check your password, like LastPass, like um, Dashlane. There are so many of them are really important, but they're third party. Well, Google is trying to add features to the Android Autofill. Now, Android Autofill is where the browser and your phone remember certain passwords. They're now adding a password checker function. So it'll check to see that your password is uh, safe. So it's going to pop up more and more. It's a nifty feature. I think it's a great idea. It analyzes your passwords and will tell you whether it's weak or whether you've been reusing the password, something you shouldn't do. And a password manager gives the ability to keep unique passwords. But at the very least, your banking passwords and your email passwords and your core sort of security-focused password should be different to any other password. Don't keep one or two passwords that you reuse across everything that you do online. It's going to cause you huge trouble down the road, and it's a major, major security breach. And on that note, so just watch it. You'll see if you've enabled Autofill with Google, you will be able to see that it'll remind you, it'll tell you that this feature is uh, active. And then when you put in a password, it'll tell you this password is weak or it's been used too many times before, which is a good thing. It's not the best. It's safe. It's secure. It's not the best password manager. I still recommend that you get hold of a third party paid for service because they are the best. But essentially, it works well. I've tried it on my Android phone. No problem. So on that note, I have to wrap up for another week. Stay tuned. Same place, same time. Next week, right here on High FM, where we're going to go and talk to smart people and discuss smart gadgets. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk, right here on High FM.